This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This episode features Michael Sean Sorelli. I got to know Michael Sean Sorelli through Actors Launchpad. There are a couple of things this year that have been key for me in getting back to acting. One of them was Actors Launchpad. The other is uh, Shelter Theater Company. And then there were a bunch of things that happened after that. Uh, National Black Theater was a great experience. And then the Black Arts Institute. But Michael Sean Sorelli, he was kind of the, the point of contact at Actors Launchpad. And that organization really helped me get my feet back in and my mind and heart back into pursuing this thing. Mike has since left Actors Launchpad. Uh, he still teaches there sometimes, teaches an improv class, but he has left to go and do his thing as an actor again. And he has a show debuting this weekend called This Is Like That, part of the Dream Up Festival that is happening tomorrow, August 31st, and it goes through September 4th. And the links to the tickets will be in the show notes of this episode, so definitely check that out and support him. Michael is the actor and writer of that piece. Um, he is an actor and writer and other. That's what he has listed as his description. Um, other is many different things. Like I said, he also teaches improv. You can check that out at Actors Launchpad sometime. I plan to go see his show, I think, Sunday. Uh, Sunday the first that is at five o'clock um but check him out so without further ado this is michael sean sorelli let's have a conversation go ahead mike sorelli did i say that right yeah how's it going it's going well how are you doing good a little wet but i think i'll survive it is a storm for the ages out there absolutely uh, so how you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, I've been, um, we know each other through Actors Launchpad and I left what it's like five months ago. It feels so much longer, but, um, I've been working, I'm working on a new show and, uh, a couple of other projects did, uh, acting things, which was a good change for me having been working at the Launchpad for a while and doing things that were related to, but not the craft. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, uh, well, let's talk about your show and all that stuff. But I will say for me, um, uh, I have been, this last year has been getting back to acting for me also. That's what it's been about. So joining Actors Launchpad was kind of the first step into getting serious about it again mm. um, after a long break. And there's a couple of other things that, um, I would love to invite you to, um, but uh, one of the things that I have most loved about Actors Launchpad is it's given me a home for like the business of acting, but in a way that somehow it's both, I think, very good and practical for the business of acting, but most of all, the community of actors um, and the people that work there and the people that show up there regularly are the kind of actors um, and the kind of community that I want to be a part of and that I'm proud to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're one of the key oh, people thank you. uh, for that. Um, one of the big reasons why I had to make that move, because it was a big shift to decide, you know, 
to move out of my comfort zone and do something where um, you, you forget when you go to be an artist that not every day is going to feel like a win. Um, and so, or even you have to fill those days and you have to decide what the victory is each day. Um, so watching people like you, watching other people who've come through and, and they're trying to live the dream was really inspiring to me to go, this is something that I want to do. It's something I've always wanted to do. Why am I delaying it? Yeah. So yeah, especially the community. And I think that's always the thing as artists is finding that group that you want to work with, or even just people who you can, you know, watch who inspire you, uh, if you're not in that tier or whatever, um, that you just see their work and it makes you want to be better or to continue to work. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about what you're working yeah. on, um, what's going on, what's been happening over the last five months. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the big thing that I have coming up is um, this show called This Is Like That, which I've been developing with a director, Emery Snyder, for the past, we'll call it three years, um, maybe close to four. But um, it's part of the Dream Up Festival at the Theater for New City, which is an opportunity for a lot of new works to get up there. And while we've done this show in the past in sort of workshop settings, we're considering this the world premiere um, because we've redone the script and things like that. It was a really long process of developing this show. So originally, I just wrote this script. So it's a solo performance piece that, um, do you know Will Eno's work at all? Anything I like know that? the name. So he has a show called Tom Payne Based on Nothing, which is sort of an existential monologue that's sort of stand-up comedy, but also um, bleak mm -hmm. and heartwarming at the same time, which I love that combination of things. And speaking of community and those people that you look to to inspire you, I was very inspired by that play and sat down and just sort of created a long monologue um, about language and our ability to communicate and the gaps in our ability to communicate. And it was originally called our little world laughed. And then I put it in a shelf and I didn't look at it. And I met Emery doing a, a directing workshop with her. And we were talking about the kind of art that we like and we both mentioned Will Eno and his work. And I said, you know, it's funny, I kind of have a Will Eno play. And she said, oh, I would love to read it. And I was not in love with this at all. And uh, I gave it to her and she said, I like it. And that was literally the only thing I need. Again, coming back to that community, just having somebody give you that like slight bit of validation to be like, no, this deserves to live outside of a drawer. And so we then began developing it. And at this point, so the, the show now involves a carousel slide projector. Like remember those like analog carousel slide projectors that takes on a life of its own throughout the show. At some point it starts doing things that analog slide projectors can't do. Um, which is really fun and interesting, and we started playing around with those concepts. And I guess, I think when I gave her the original script, those were not in there. And then as we pro progressed through it, and I did a series of rewrites, I started putting in these images. Um, just basically what it injects sort of the subtext of this person, since it's a play about not being able to communicate, who's actually telling the truth here, we started to put it on this slide projector. And we found a... A uh, really good projection designer, Eamon, and he worked with us and with like spreadsheets worth of stuff to like develop all these slides and things like that. And that whole process then resulted in a workshop performance that we financed ourselves at Theater Lab. And I performed it and it went pretty well. It had some things that now looking back, I go, wow, those are a little uh, 
uh, off the wall, which I don't mind. I like moments in plays that are sort of like um, hard to handle, uh, not hard to handle, but like you get surprised by the, them coming into the show or you take a moment, it takes you out to get back in. Uh, but maybe there were a few too many of it in that version. And we, we ran it and we did it in that space, which was a, a lovely space. And then again, it sat around for a little while as we started looking for opportunities to do it elsewhere, which I know you work in New York and sometimes getting something up anywhere just costs so much, like just to get space or um, rehearsal time and things like that. So you start looking again to these organizations that provide these sort of things. And so again, submitting to different things, which makes it, when it's a solo piece, it's a smaller circle of things that you can submit to because a lot of times it's a 45 minute solo piece which does not fit a lot of people's criterias for these kinds of things have you heard of i think it's called like solo fest the solo collective or the solo there's solo there are actually it's funny because i say that there are a lot of specific um for solo work things but yeah there's solo fest um we had done all for one theater company does this thing called solo collective and that was the next step for us um, and then a few other things that we submitted to that were loose enough with their criteria that we could submit to them. Um, so yeah, the next step was the, the All For One Theater's Solo Collective, SoCo. Um, and at this point, I just felt like I as a actor couldn't see the play, or as a writer couldn't see the play when I was acting in it. So we started looking for another actor to do it, and we found uh, through a search and a couple of different ways, the comedian Jordan, Jordan Carlos, and asked him if he would do this uh, workshop production for All For One Theater Company. And he was very gracious and accepted to do it. And it was amazingly helpful for me to watch another actor do it, because also I have that attitude where I'm like, this moment isn't hitting, oh, Mike's not good at acting. And then I just watch Jordan suffer through some of the words I wrote down, and I go, no, that's just like not good writing at this point or it's confusing because of the way that I've put the words together it's not on the actor at this point so it really helped me to refine the script which we did last year um, like April of last year and so then again back to the script rewrite it for the 30th time something like that uh, and now it's in a place that we really really like it and that's when we started reaching out for things that were a little bit more production focused. And that's how we found Dream Up Festival, which gives you opportunities to you know, have space, have some resources that they provide to you and to put on a production that we're gonna be really excited about at uh, September. So when is that happening exactly? So it's Labor Day weekend. We will be on August 31st, September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th or not the fifth, just the fourth, um, the, the times vary. So it's probably just easier to, I'll give you the links when I have the links and that'll make it easier to keep track of it for people. Cool. And I'll put this up like when I have the links, um, sure. this will come out. So if you're listening to this, um, you know, the exact times and stuff, you can check the show notes and check the show out. Um, say the name of the piece one more time. This is like that. Cool. Yeah. Um, and is it, so, well, well, let's jump around. Um, sure. so you're also, I know you're not, um, on staff at, uh, Actors Launchpad anymore. However, you are doing, uh, some regular, uh, improv classes there. Yeah. 
Um, improv is something that I love to do, and I think it's so useful as a performer to just get out of your own way with a lot of things. And um, if you're doing good improv, you're taking so much pressure off yourself, ideally, to when you see bad improv, it's people trying to follow the rules or trying to be funny or sacrificing what's happening in front of them and what's happened before in the scene to, you know, create something that isn't there. So I think it's super useful, especially for theater, but also TV film and, and auditions to just be able to walk in and accept a reality that is not actually there and let go of all the, if you can go on stage and improvise, not worrying about the fact that there's an audience there hungry for you to entertain them, then you can walk into an audition and do the same thing for a casting director and take the pressure off yourself. Um, and so I really love it. I, again, a big community for me. When I first moved to New York, I worked at the People's Improv Theater back when what is now the Pit Loft um, was the People's Improv Theater. And uh, I had done some improv. I liked it but it was not my focus. And then meeting this group of amazing people who some have gone on and I see them um, in TV shows and commercials and stuff like that. And every time I see them, it's just like, oh my God, I'm so happy for them. I'm so glad um, that they're doing well. And just learning what's possible in that realm. I think that's a big thing. If you are interested in doing improv, just go see improv, go see good improv, go see bad improv. Because 90% of it is just learning, oh, I can do that. I'm allowed to do that. Um, if I commit to it, if I, if I make a choice, like the audience will get on your side because the audience is always rooting for you. So all you, you just have to give them the reason to stop rooting for you. They'll even, you know, they'll let mistakes slide. If you, if you make them feel safe, they'll, they'll let things slide that normally they wouldn't when they're like, mm, I'm not sure about these guys. As soon as you sort of just, if you can relax, and you can be a person who's happy with what's going on, then they'll come along with you. Nice. Yeah. Um, so when did you come to New York and where were you coming from before that? So I came from Pennsylvania. Uh, I grew up a little bit outside of Philly in Bucks County. And then I went to undergrad at a place called the Sales University, which used to be Allentown College, which clues you into the fact that it was in... Allentown, Pennsylvania, um, technically Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And I did undergrad in theater there and then moved to New York on New Year's Day of 2008. Yeah, 2008. Wow. That's the same year I moved here. Yeah? Yep. Oh, that's crazy. It was an interesting year to move here. Yeah, I moved in August of 2008, which was a really rough time. That's like right when the recession kind of was like hitting. Yeah. Um, so the, I'll never forget auditioning, um, and then going to try to find like a restaurant job and these lines for restaurant jobs and a bunch of people with headshots and resumes, like at restaurant jobs also. So it was like really hard because it's like you're auditioning, which is hard. And then the survival job thing was also just as it was like felt like another audition and having no roots or like support system yet in new york it was like it was rough oh yeah 
I remember also too, when I first moved, I was looking for restaurant jobs and basically all my roommates and friends were like, you just got to lie. Just lie and say you've worked at a restaurant. Yeah. Or give them my number. I'll pretend. Because the whole New York experience thing. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Uh, and then I didn't. I ended up getting a job in an improv theater instead. But I guess, yeah. Did you end up lying for your... I didn't. Um, I... I had done a reading. I was in Virginia right before I came to New York. Um, and I did a reading. I was like finishing up school there, did a reading. And some of the actors came down from New York or like we're from Virginia. And so they did a reading of a parade. And so I definitely was like, Oh, you live in New York? Blah, blah, blah. Like I'm going to be moving there soon. And then after a couple weeks or like a month of like no prospects, just, you know, Facebooking, reaching out to some of the people. And one of them was like, well, I work for a catering company if you, and I'm like, I don't care. Like, yes, anywhere, please. Um, so that was the first job. And then, um, there were auditions for singing servers and bartenders for the spirit of New York. And so I went and auditioned for that. And then because I did have restaurant and bar experience, um, and could sing, uh, that's how I got my first, like, bartending singing bartending job was amazing um but that was like six or seven months in but right yeah well that's a yeah it it doesn't happen quickly often no but um that's great because you just have like those two worlds married together yeah um yeah and i think new york's a strange beast in that way and i'm sure um, we'll talk about this but like when you it's scary like if you stop acting for a while, which sounds like we both kind of did, mm-hmm. um, it's scary to step back into the arena. And as scary and competitive in a way um, and disillusioning New York can be, there's also a magic to it. Whereas like if you keep doing the work, keep doing the process, it doesn't necessarily happen the way you want it to or think it will, mm-hmm. but other unexpected, wonderful things yeah. can and will happen if you just keep. You have no idea what you're preparing yourself for until somebody gives you the opportunity. Or, you know, sometimes you create your own opportunity. But I think some of the best stories are the ones where it comes out, where it's like, I was doing this thing that I had no idea would be related to my acting, and then they needed a person who could do that as well as act, and all of a sudden things started happening for me and then yeah that community again coming back to it and finding those people um funnily enough did you ever meet anna watts who is an alp member she's one of the people who come to the classes but we went to uh, see the space at theater from the new city and she comes running in and she's doing a show as well in the same space um i wish i knew the information about what it is but look up anna watts shot a show for dream up festival as well and it's that small world sort of thing where you just start making these connections and you never know where they're going to come from. My first yeah. gig coming out, coming back to acting, was a short film that I auditioned for like six months before. And the director emailed me and said, hey, we didn't go with you for this role, but I've been thinking about you and I would love to have you in the show, in, in this short film so we're offering you this other role and one I felt really good because I was like I thought I auditioned well so it's like a good confirmation there but also just that idea of like I guess they say win the room or things like that Mm -hmm. when you go in 
you just never know. You know, people walk away and they're like, oh, they didn't give me a call back. Oh, they didn't, didn't cast me or I didn't hear anything from them. And they take that as meaning that they, they didn't like them or that they didn't do a good job. And you, you don't know that. You just, you don't know what factors go into that. If I learned anything from meeting lots of casting directors, it's just like, do not think, I mean, if you'll know if you walk in there and you, you've done a horrible, horrible, horrible job. But other than that, besides that, and you even know. that, um, yeah, you don't know. Uh, it's really hard. <laughs> I, I've seen this before where usually you're your worst critic. Um, don't get me wrong. Like there's an audition that I had recently where I thought it went well. Um, but then now I'm like questioning, oh, did I do X, Y, or Z? Um, but usually you're your own worst critic. Um, but like you know this i know this but it took a while to like learn it how you can never apologize for what happens in there because mm-hmm. um you don't know you never know even if it didn't go well for you you don't know what they thought about it so you just have to do your work and yeah self evaluate all that is fine um and it's one of the hardest things to do is mm-hmm. to not apologize one cuz like we just have a culture sort of built on apology for things where, oh, I didn't live up to your expectations. I'm sorry. Uh, or the, like, there's just people who give like those very meaningless, I'm sorry's. Um, if you're one of those people, just cut it out. But if you're a person who actually, yeah, you feel bad about like whatever you did in the room or something like that, you just got to let it go. Cause for me, it goes back to the improv thing of if you tell the audience something is funny they'll probably laugh mm-hmm. and the same thing goes to if you tell the audience you're sorry for something so if you you do something like oh god that wasn't very, that didn't hit very well um sorry about that they then immediately go oh maybe they don't know what they're doing and the same thing when you walk into the audition room if you say oh that wasn't what i meant to do you've, you've now told them you've let the cat out of the bag yeah yeah it's a tough one though because it's all those things are against what a lot of our training as people or at least um our current training as people is is to apologize for you know when we, when you make a situation uh, awkward or when you feel like you haven't lived up to an expectation and also to you know always feel this forward momentum that might not be there how do you how do you take a win out of doing something and literally hearing nothing back and also, like, if you really did bomb, uh, every comedian, like, particularly stand-up comedian, has bombed, you will have other opportunities. And, you know what I mean? If you yeah. keep getting up, keep going, you'll have other opportunities to step up and shine. Yeah. And maybe really impress somebody if they saw you bomb, like, uh, to show it, what absolutely. you're capable of. When you have that resolve to, to one, not apologize and two, not make it about you. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's what happens a lot. We, you know, the, those viral moments of comedians like flipping out because all of a sudden it's like a judgment on them and their work because this joke isn't landing for whatever reason. Um, that's when it becomes not useful. And that's when it then, because now we're not, there's always sort of a character when you're on stage, even if you're playing yourself. And then all of a sudden, um, we go, oh, there is no veil there. So this guy is actually legitimately angry or upset or sorry for the fact that this hasn't worked. And then what do you do with that? There's no, there's no actual 
the connection is not deep enough for the audience to feel comfortable with that kind of situation unless you've set it up in a particular way. And stand-up comedy definitely is not a, a world set up for, um, well, no, that's, some people are doing great work in that field, but in general not good for emotional depth. Um, although now there's like the more comedic storytellers who are doing some great stuff where it's, hey, it's funny, but also let's connect and meet here. Yeah. Uh, so Dream Up Festival, is that what it's called? Dream yeah, Up? I love that name. Yeah, it's great. Um, part of it is to encourage works that are uh, maybe bigger or uh, larger than what you would expect at a typical festival. Because, like, I mean... I don't know if you've ever done festival shows or things like that, but basically you got 15 minutes to get on stage and, uh, you know, the lights are set based off of the other 28 shows that are happening in the space. You got 15 minutes to get out. So there is an encouraging of dreaming a little bit bigger. This, there are parameters, but how do you, um, bring a larger vision to the thing that you're doing on stage? And it's a great, this is their 10th year. So they've been doing it for a while. Um, it's a mixture of theater, dance, poetry. It's all a lot of different things. So it's great to just go through and look and see if there's something that interests you. Even if you're like, eh, this guy's play doesn't sound great. There's probably something awesome um, that you would like th through theater for the new city, which is a, a, like an institution down on the um, east side. So um, after this play, or not just after, what kind of, what are some of your goals? What are you thinking about what's going on in your world and your, in your brain? Yeah. Um, for me, I think the next thing in terms of, do you want to talk about like with this particular play or just me is moving on and both, both. Yeah. For us, the next thing, the hope is to do this and, um, one lock it down is like, this is going to be what the show, um, ultimately is in terms of the, general arc of it and the script and things like that that this is the show that we want to do and then it's again it, it's you know the process is not linear so it's again it'll be submitting it to places that hopefully will um find it of interest and of value and hopefully the fact that we're doing this festival adds a little bit more value the same way that um you were a person who could sing but also they needed a waiter and that married it together so hopefully this is just another notch in the belt for people who are interested in it. For me, I think, as much as I like doing it, part of the reason I'm revisiting it is it's a 31-page, 45-minute monologue, um, which I don't want to subject another actor to um, if I can't financially support them in a way that uh, is appropriate. So I'm, I'm torturing myself with that by getting off book for a 45-minute monologue. But the, I would ultimately love to have somebody else do the role because um, it is not written for me necessarily it is meant to be more universal and hopefully have other people people of color of uh it's i would have to rewrite it we keep talking about trying to do a, a version with uh somebody like a, a a female version but it there would have to be some rewrites in there but maybe that would be the next thing to sort of come up with the the version that's a little bit uh more female related so, uh, so that we could do any actor in the, in the role um, moving forward, because I'd love to just see somebody else take it on and do it in a full production. Nice. Yeah, that's the big thing with that. And then general life moving on. 
I think I want to get back to, or actually get, start getting into more uh, TV film, doing some more recorded stuff, um, just because I think there's some value to having that solid matter that exists for a while. Um, and I know some people who have the resources to do that, so that's my next focus for writing things like that. Um, kicking around several ideas that we'll see which one comes out the winner based off of a lot of constraints. One of my favorite things about New York and New York actors, I'm finding, uh, my little brother is in L.A., and I went out there. He's actually on the UCB team in L.A. He's oh, on nice. the Herald team this year, so I have to go out and see him. Last year, he was on Mess Hall, which is kind of like the the step yeah. well, a lot of people take um, on the way to be on one of the Herald teams. And uh, I really enjoyed L.A. this last time. I'm from Seattle. I, I never didn't like L.A. I just always felt a pull to New York mm -hmm. from a young age. And it took me a while to finally get here. And when I finally got here, I felt like this is where I should have always been. Not should have, but I felt home. I felt kind of a sense of whatever was calling me was, mm -hmm. was true. And I found one of the things that I really love about New York actors in particular, um, and it's not to say this isn't true in LA or other places, but in particular in New York, I feel like artists in general, definitely actors though, wear many hats. Mm. You said you met your director in a directing workshop? She had cast me, so I was acting okay. in it. But um, she was doing a directing workshop, and uh, I mean, if you want to go through that, yeah, I met her through a theater company that I had been working with, mostly as like marketing and things like that. So yeah, it's a it's a windy path to getting to her as well. And you're you also write. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you favor one over the other? And you don't have to. I mean, they're you, you can just you yeah. Know, I, it's funny because for all the stuff I say about ego, uh, my ego is so tied up in things that I write. That's really difficult for me to um, not be like I get the tortured artist when I think about my writing. It's I, I have many less hang ups if you hand me a script and say, hey, act this out whatever I'll, I'll tackle it. And then you can also just be like, nah, I don't know if I really like that. I'm like, that's fine. Like, honestly, I, I put no, I put in the work, but I don't put value on it. The, the hold on tightly, like a lightly kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, that's super easy for me acting when I write something, it's super hard for me. And personal. Yeah. And it's not even, um, necessarily that the story is so close to my heart, but that, it's a labor that I sometimes people have a lot of opinions about writing and it's difficult to filter those in the same way that I am as a, I can as an actor. And I think maybe that's also just from not, um, having my work out there as much because I, for a really long time, I had like four plays that I never even took out of, out, out of the, the drawer. Cause I, um, again, have a lot of ego tied up into it but then I, you know, you hear some certain people's feedback on it and I, I don't have the way of parsing it in the way that somebody says, Oh, I think you should do this as an actor. And I go, 
great. What they're saying is not what they want, but I can say it faster and we'll get, get the same result. Where when somebody's saying, oh, this thing about a, a piece of writing, my mind doesn't click as quickly into like, oh, I see what they're saying and how I could adjust it if I think that their thought has value. And yeah, it's just harder for me to put myself out there in that way. I think it's also, it lives in such a solid form. Um, and that because of that, you can always change it. Or, you know, you, you do a scene, even if you're putting it on film, you still only did it one time. So there's not really a way to hang on to that forever, where a piece of writing, it's, that's what it's going to be unless I change it. And I always have the option to change it. So it is that thing of like, when do you let go of this? When is it in the right place? And with uh, film, what I'm learning is versus plays uh, with film, you can write the script as perfect as you want, but unless you produce it, they can totally mess with your script oh, yeah. when they go to produce it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no, it, it, not that it, the story has a lot of value. Yeah. The script, uh, it's not Shakespeare usually. So they're not, they're not super tied to it in the same way. And then it's also, you know, you get into the realities of the space. So maybe you envision something, you know, not just dialogue, but whatever, a certain kind of shot or something like that. And you get into the space and you're like, well, we can't pull the camera far back enough to accomplish what you want. So we're going to have to find some other way to do it. And you, maybe that, you know, deprives it of a certain thing that you were going for, but the physical limitations are there. And especially when you were creating your own work, the, the budget isn't unlimited to knock out that wall, put the camera there and then build the wall back up or whatever you need to do to, if you had a million dollar budget. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the actors too, which I think there's a lot of encouraging actors to um, be looser with scripts in mm -hmm. terms of making it real. Because it's very much about sort of authenticity and say it how you would say it. This is not true for everything, but um, they want actors who can sort of just be there and speak the words or say what comes in there and get you through the story without them ever feeling fake. And if that means that they say a different word here or there, they'd rather that than, you know, that moment where you're like, oh, they felt like an actor. Yeah. Uh, so what, what next for you after, after this? So, uh, well, the real what's next for me is my wife's Australian. I'm going to head to Australia. So that over Christmas, we're going to be there. Um, and that'll be right before they do a giant festival. So she's from Perth, Australia, which does a Perth Fringe Festival, which is one of the largest uh, theater festivals in the world. At least a couple of years ago, it was in the top two or three. So I'm going to be checking out some stuff there. I think re-up on inspiration and things like that. I think festivals are such a cool place to see things and get accustomed to the, like what people are doing, what people are interested in, just weird theater. I like stuff that's not the same, even if it's not exactly, I'd rather see somebody fail at trying something different than somebody do an okay job or a really good job at something that I've seen before. Mm -hmm. um, Have you, do you see a lot of theater in New York as lately? Much, as much as I can. I haven't been, I mean, I've been seeing a couple of, um, 
more off off Broadway stuff. This mm. don't let them know, but this Broadway season I was not like thrilled about a whole lot of it. There's some great stuff, but nothing that I was like, yeah, I definitely got to go see. And because of the again trying that community thing, I'm trying to see more people who I know's work. Um, so I saw a production of The Crucible that some. Uh, uh, ALP members were doing and they did that at the Access Theater that was really cool and oddly again again these weird connections a guy who I went to undergrad was in the show um, I didn't know them together in any particular way until they did that show and then that uh, apparently they know each other through a coach that they work with and it's really been fascinating for me having spent time away coming back my mindset is a lot different. Um, so realizing that it's really not a competition, like it's a competition with yourself. It's a community with everybody else. Yeah. I think if you can look at it that way. Yeah. Which is tough because of the way that it's sort of set up. But if it's a competition, it's, it's, it's going to be such a hard row for you when you don't get everything and it's not a comment on your talent. Again, it's, it's so easy to make it personal. And it's a puzzle piece. Yeah, and exactly. In a larger it, picture. And if you've, you, I mean, you've, you've done some stuff that you've, you ever done any casting for anything. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. But like you sit in that room and you, you can you, fall in love with everybody that walks through yeah. and you can't cast everybody in every role. Yeah. There's only one at the end of the day and touch wood. We're getting more creative with, how we're casting these roles so hopefully some people who aren't having the opportunities are getting them and i'm entirely fine with that because there's some so many talented people that why not expose yourself to the, i'm the kind of guy who will try everything twice uh just because maybe i was wrong the first time if i didn't like it and i think i think there's just so much value to new experience um and seeing things that in a different way that I love when I see somebody else get cast. I'm like, thank God, like there's an opportunity to see what their interpretation was of it. And you know, maybe I'm like, ah, I don't know. I like mine better, but it also doesn't matter because I'm not the person in charge of that vision. I showed up, I brought what I thought I wanted to do and it didn't jive with them. Why would you want to work with somebody who not saying it would be antagonistic or anything like that, but if, you know, if you walked in and you nailed this audition doing what you wanted to do and then you got cast and they go, okay, we love you as an actor and we want you to do everything differently. Why, like, then why did you cast me? Mm -hmm. And it's not, so it isn't a comment on your talent. It's a comment on their vision and also the plethora of things that determine what goes into casting something. I mean, somebody's just a little bit taller than you expected or shorter than what you expected and then you have to adjust the whole formula to make that work it's um it's a puzzle yeah you're right it's a puzzle piece and to there's still another place for that puzzle piece to go you know it might not just be in this particular vision yeah yeah it's and you know there's roles where you're like i'm totally perfect for it it doesn't always work out that way yeah it just doesn't it's not the business that we're in. It's not, um, unless you write like the only way you can do that is generating your own work. Yeah. And that's funny. Cause then I think you see a lot of people generate their own work that is, um, not always authentic to them. 
because they, they want to fit a different box or something like that. Not always, but sometimes you're like, oh, so they're trying to package themselves in a different way. And you wonder what would happen if they were just more honest with like whatever the work that they were creating for themselves would be. You should, well, you, I shouldn't say you should. Um, I invite <laughs> I you will. to come out to Shelter Theater Company. Yeah. Um, it's every Sunday there's a workshop. They just celebrated 10 years, or we just celebrated 10 years. Uh, I've been involved with them for the past couple of years. But there's a regular Sunday workshop. And particularly, it's actor, writer heavy. Oh, really? That's fantastic. I'll, I'll talk to you about that format offline, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's really cool. I think you would get value from it, and it's a great it. community. Intelligent, talented writers and actors. Awesome, and congratulations on 10 years. I feel like that is... Like I said, I've only been a part of it for a couple, but, but yeah. But still, the people who are involved on yeah. that, it's mind-boggling to, to achieve that in a place in, in the city where... You know, I've been part of theater companies. It's hard. It's hard, you know. Very few people who are running a theater company in in New York, it's their only job. So the the amount of time, I remember when I was a part of a company, when we were doing a show, I was pulling, I was up till 4 a.m. for like three weeks straight. And I was like, why? Why am I doing this? Um, But it's also about having something that you value. Mm Mm-hmm. And trying to um, relay that value to somebody else where you're like, we've put in so much effort and, and time and we think this has um, some worth and, and then how do I let other people know that th- this is worthy and please come check it out. And again, not taking it personally when, yeah, it's like, look, when I've only slept four hours every night for three weeks straight, I would love if people were like, oh, I can't make it to the show. But like at the same time, stuff comes up, people have kids, they can't get a babysitter sometimes it's too far away for them, whatever it is. And that's a weird, that's a weird thing right now for me being in New York, being a little bit older now. Uh, I'm in an intensive right now. Uh, the, they, I am definitely the oldest person in the room. Mm. People don't know it. But people think I'm nah, younger, yeah, yeah. But, which is pretty funny. Um, but, uh, it's really for me realizing how important it is for me and that I can, I'm still working and stuff, but I'm kind of like, I'm married now. So I kind of have a grounding, like a Mm -hmm. grounded life to a degree as much as you can. Yeah. Um, you know, finances are still finances, but I'm somewhat grounded. And so with the job, with the acting classes, with this and that, when my friends, when my community has shows, if I'm available to show up and like prioritize showing up, mm-hmm. um, not not to get anything in return, but it's I don't know. You get something by showing up. Yeah, yeah. Just absolutely. We have to support each other. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and you just never you never know. Look, I've been to some shows with the friends are in and and. I could have skipped them, but like you, you don't know. And also it's about, um, and you run it, you run into people that, you know, mm-hmm. at the, like in other aspects of other actors you run in, you know, that's yeah. really cool to see. Yeah. Actually, since you were asking about theater that I saw, I actually 
So for the longest time, my favorite show in New York was the Neo Futurist. Um, it was the complete stage, stage works of Eugene O'Neill. Uh, and basically what they did is somebody read the stage directions of Eugene O'Neill, which are famously um, detailed. Mm -hmm. Like essentially like he's 42 with blue steely eyes that could see through granite, something, 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 something. And they had somebody on stage read those stage directions and an ensemble of actors execute it. And for me, it was the greatest show that I had seen in New York just because they were like, this is the thing that we've set out to do and we're going to accomplish that goal. It wasn't always the smoothest route there. There were things, there's, I, I specifically remember there's an actor on stage and it must have been implied in his dialogue that he left the room. So there was probably some line where he's like, I'm leaving. And so he didn't write, he leaves. And so there's a moment where they go, George enters and he's st standing in the middle of the stage and you see him look around and be like, well, I have to figure out how to enter even though I'm currently on stage. And like attacking those kind of challenges were, was so amazing. The whole reason I'm telling you this is because it, that show was just supplanted by um, the show called Convention that I saw at the Irondale Theater. And it was um, f a cast of like 40 people and they basically do this convention where Harry S. Truman uh, became elected as vice president and basically they knew FDR was going to die in office so he was essentially going to be the successor. And it's done, basically you're sitting, they set it up as if you're at the convention. There are multiple scenes going on at once. So I actually went back a second time and sat on oh. the other side of the room because I was like, I just want to see what I missed. And it's one of those shows that's intensely better having seen it before, because then you go, oh, that girl who's up there, who's practicing. I didn't notice this. There's a girl practicing, practicing her speech and the uh -huh. whole thing like ends up where her speech doesn't get done at the end mm. of act one. So knowing that the second time through, I was like, that is so fascinating. Like a mini tragedy within a story that has its own arc, but watching each of those characters and you have the option to sort of pick who you want to ride the, the, the train with, it was, mind-numbingly good and again with a, like casting they cast a bunch of females as these politicians from the time so basically everybody's a historical person um and because of that which i think hamilton really opened that box of worms where it's like look if it happened in history who who gives a shit like we know who thomas jefferson is let's just have any actor play it because what's the point so they did this um an amazing cast of people great sort of through line, but also the option to just sort of go around. I, it was definitely my favorite show I've seen in New York. I hope they, it's a cast of 40 people, so um, I hope they all move on and get to do it somewhere else. But I understand that, that that's, a, that's a heavy lift for somebody. The Neo-Futurists, do, do they have, are they based in Chicago also? They are, so uh, I'm not sure, there's like a bunch of places around or, it, but originally it was in Chicago. Okay. Cause I have a friend named Trevor Dawkins who was in, he like I went to school with and is part of their group in Chicago. Yeah. Does so he that's... do um, too much light makes the baby go, go blind? I have no idea. That... I haven't talked to good old Trevor. Uh. What's up Trevor <laughs> in a while. <laughs> hey Trev. Um, yeah. Cause that was a, a, there's something there where they don't do that format in New York anymore, but the basically they would do a, a, a series of short plays in the course of an hour and sort of randomly selecting them and then would roll a dice to determine how many new plays they had to do the following week. Um, and they're a really cool, interesting group that also um, has a unique sort of aesthetic about like 
that Eugene O'Neill show, it's about sort of setting up a personal challenge. It's not about creating a character as much as sort of the drama of watching somebody try and accomplish a goal. And if that creates a character of some kind, but it's more about you being you and trying to accomplish something. Um, and I, there's, yeah, they're also just like a really interesting group that you should check out if you, if you like really brave theater. I think it's probably some of the most um, raw stuff. Not, you know, not at a, it's just you're watching a person trying to accomplish something mm -hmm. and they might not succeed. Right. That's sort of thrilling to me. It's, you know, it becomes a, a, a sports sort of event almost where you're like, I don't know if they're actually going to get away with this. Or, you know, if you go see a lot of productions, well, you're like, they're probably going to pull it off because they've rehearsed it a thousand times to make sure that they can. Yeah. Yeah. They're a great group. I'm, uh, I'm going to see strange loop this week. Mm, yeah. I'm super excited. I've heard, heard great things about that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all I, <laughs> I know about it a little bit. Like it's the main character is Usher, um, a gay black playwright who is struggling to write a play about a gay black playwright, maybe named Usher also. Yeah. Right. So it's, yeah. Um, meta and it's supposed to, but it's supposed to be really good. I love meta stuff. It's like, I think that for me and that again, this comes up in the, this is like that as well as the relationship of, um, performer and audience, yep. especially nowadays where I know we're talking about TV film, we're also talking about theater, but theater is really one of the few, if it has anything on TV film, it's the ability that we're in the same room together. Mm -hmm. And so that is a certain magic that you have to acknowledge or else like, why not just do a film of it? Cause it's probably going to last longer. Um, I mean, there's the ephemeral nature of things too, that makes theater really valuable, but I think there's something about being in the room and, you know, whether it is very much acknowledged or not, there is a certain meta narrative to anything where somebody walks into a room to go watch you that they've put aside whatever else they'd be doing in their life to, to come and watch this thing. And it's a, it's a rare event. Like when they say, I love the, when we go through theater school or like when you're doing acting, they're like, Oh, so it's the willing suspension of disbelief that makes theater. And like, isn't that just a roundabout way of saying like believing? Right. It's, you're just asking people to show up and, and believe something. Yeah. Like, why do we have to pretend like it's about them shutting off a part of, part of the brain as opposed to turning on a part of the mm -hmm. brain? Cause I think that's the more active thing. And I think good theater now is trying to activate people. Um, you know, you think back to things like, waiting for lefty where when they finished that they're screaming strike 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 and people literally walked out of the theater being like we're gonna go on strike and then like basically realize like we we're not a union and we don't necessarily have a thing to strike but the ability to pull people out of there every day and get them to care about something that maybe they wouldn't care about is super important nowadays i think i mean it's probably always been important but um challenging your ability for empathy and challenging your ability to see other people as people is super important. I think mm -hmm. if you're going to come into a room with other people, how do you embrace that ritual and that event in a way that, um, 
adds value for them beyond just being like, oh, we laughed a lot, which is cool. I mean, sometimes that's all you need, but the theater that excites me is the one where you, you're changed a little bit or wish that you could change a little bit, even if it's asking too much or something like that. Maybe that's the best theater where you're like, oh man, that's asking a lot. Yeah. Uh, so where is the best place for people to find and follow you? Uh, so you can just go to my website. It's michaelshawnsorelli.com, which I could probably spell out M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-E-A-N-C-I-R-E-L-L-I.com. You got to do the Sean because there's another Michael Sorelli who writes like Def Jam poetry about the Jersey Shore, which is cool, but it's not my gig. Yeah. Nice. And you're going to do this play coming up mm-hmm. Labor Day week. It'll be the weekend. Week. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plus weekend plus two days. Depends on how much time you get off, I guess. Say the name one more time. I'll this put, is like that. This is like that. Yeah. Um, and the links for that will be in the show notes of this podcast. See what I did there? Mm, it's like <laughs> I didn't that. get a like in there, but yeah. <laughs> I'm working on not umming or saying like too much. Fair enough. I've already said it at least 10 more times than I it wanted to. It was super distracting to me on this one. <laughs> I apologize. No, no. Uh, there we go. See? There you 11, go. Yeah. 11. Was that, have you really been keeping count? Yeah, no. <laughs> I am gonna go listen. I am gonna listen back, and I'm gonna count these up, and then just be like, just as a as a note, it was actually 13. Mm-hmm. I think you might be right. I have no idea. I don't either. I'll probably come through and go. Oh wow, I had a lot more ums than I thought too. I think I got you beat. I'm working on it. Yeah. If anybody's listening, tally up all the ums and tell us who won. Mm-hmm. Give feedback. Yeah. I almost did it, but I didn't. Do you, here, I'll, I'll, um, and then you say something. Um, so do you want to talk about anything else? Uh, I think I'm, oh, there we go. That's at least another one. Now I'm trying to win the competition. So, <laughs> um, I think that's it. I thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for sitting down with me when you get back. Oh, that was a question I had. You want to focus on film and TV also as an actor and as a writer? Yeah, I think there's, it's not a place I've explored as much. I have a, enough plays. For me, the writing plays too, because I'm so interested in that relationship with the audience, it's, I, it's one of these things where I have to find new ways to do that. And, so, mm-hmm. and that's why I go see other theater and that's why I, you know, I'll experiment with things, but a lot of it, sometimes it, 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 it fails. Um, there we go. Uh, and then I don't, don't always have the next thing lined up, but when I do, all of a sudden it becomes exciting and it goes really, really, really quickly. Uh, there we go again. So for me, I, I want to explore TV film as a different medium as well to see if I can master that. And there's stories that I want to tell that I just don't think have any value on stage so, mm-hmm. so there's some things that I've just not that they don't but like it's just better as a film or why have somebody leave their house to take or a subway car or itself to certain things lend themselves mm-hmm. to different mediums yeah and just mm-hmm. that idea of like 
you're better. This, this story is better off if you don't have to go anywhere to go mm-hmm. see it. So that's the, the, the goal for some of those things. There's just, there's sort of a, a growing backlog of them. And I want to also just get involved in that process and, and, and would you be interested in producing those, like making those yourself? Yeah, that's the next thing because I think that's a of super valuable skill. Cool, especially in New York, and especially in the age of like content that we're in now, where so many people are making their own work, and it just adds it adds a certain amount of um, value to you as an actor and to decision makers because when you're looking at tv film you're looking more it's more of a monetary i mean there's some people who make great tv uh more film for you know just for art's sake but in general it's it's a it's a more financial driven medium so those decision makers like to see a certain track record Mm -hmm. and it just adds a another thing again notch on your belt that makes them go okay well if they can also write, maybe we can throw them in here and have them write as well or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you make some things and you need some hands, hit me up. Oh, absolutely. Cause I'm also wanting to stretch those, those other muscles. Yeah. Well, I remember you have, was that like sci-fi clip that you, you did with real art? Oh yeah. I love yeah. that one. It's so cool. Yeah. That was fun. There's another one I shot that I don't know if what happened, um, but I don't know. Maybe I've seen it. I, d- I just distinctly remember that yeah. one because it felt so, it so set you in a world and you're like this sci-fi sort of OA or any of those shows where, you know, this, it just made me want to know what the rest of this world was because that's, I mean, that's the beauty of sci-fi is the world building. Yeah. And it was well done enough that I was concerned about what's the rest of this place? Why, why is this thing happening? And who is he and who, who is she? And what factions are they coming from to make this? Sci-fi is one of my favorite genres, especially for um, TV and film. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've been, I guess I've always been a sort of sci-fi nerd and then just never really acknowledged it, but it's just, um, it's the new sort of myth making. I mean, now, yeah. we, now we have every Marvel movie is basically replacing that, but if it's not that it's, it, it's a way to reflect our world in a way that, um, conceptualizes certain things more distinctly than just sort of telling this kitchen sink drama where if you're worried about inequality, what if you take a world that is super unequal and what does that mean? What do we extrapolate from if we see an issue today and what happens if it got worse or better? I guess there's a a bit more sci-fi that's getting less dystopian, but mostly in general, you're looking at um, what if it gets worse? Mm -hmm. So you have the play coming up, dream up festival, this is like that. Yeah. And you're still teaching improv. Yeah. It's basically every other week at ALP. You got to be a member, but then it's part of your membership that you can sign up for that class. And we, and that's usually on Mondays or does it vary? I've been switching it back and forth to at least usually it'll be Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And then a Thursday, Friday, every other week. So that, because when we, 
we moved the class tonight because I'm too loud because I get excited and think everything's hilarious. They said that we had to do it at night. And then some people were, went to me and said, oh, I can't come Monday or Tuesday. And some people said, oh, I definitely can't come Thursday or Friday. And so I said, well, we'll just switch it up alternate and- so that hopefully it's fair enough for people that they get to see it. But yeah, it's a, it's a fun class where for me, it's been really, um, a place for growth because it's not a curriculum over a certain period of time, which is usually the way that you teach improv. It's all, um, I mean, just doing it is one of the best ways, but in terms of having, I'm learning how to meet people where they are mm-hmm. and within the exercise, find ways to coach them that are beneficial because sometimes you would just change the exercise up, but that's not necessarily the way that you're going to be able to do it for a, a group that's all coming together at different skill levels. So in general, we stay within the same exercise and then we just find ways to sort of, if it's not clicking, adjust it just a little bit to focus on the thing that this person needs to focus on. And hopefully I can give them maybe not after the first class, but over time, a little bit of advice on where they should focus in every time they get up as just a, a place for growth until they feel like they've gotten over whatever that hump is that's protect, uh, preventing them from moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, two more questions. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Do you prefer Mike or Michael? Uh, this is a, uh, it's a hard thing to say for me in general. I've always gone by Sorelli in groups. Mm when I was younger, because growing up, there were so many Mikes and Michaels, so nobody ever bothered. They would just call me Sorelli because there was three other Mikes. And as I've gotten older, that's become less of a problem. So I'm confronting this issue that I've never had to confront. In general, I'll say Mike to people when, I, when I'm meeting them socially, and then because of the union and this, uh, this Def Jam poet, I go by Michael Sean Sorelli for the, the other reason I go by Michael Sean Sorelli is uh, I was adopted. And when I was born, I was named Sean. And then when my parents adopted me, they named me Michael, but they wanted to keep the Sean, so I became Michael Sean Sorelli. And for me, it's a, it's a quick reminder to sort of embrace every aspect of me yeah. when I go on stage. So if I ever feel like I'm BSing, I can be like, no, you're being your full self here. Mm-hmm. And finally, Sorelli, Mike, Michael Sean Sorelli. Do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share in this minute? Not that it's final, but for this podcast, do you have any final parting thoughts? Um, I guess it would be good to plug my show. This is like that, although we've done this plenty of times. Um, come check it out. It's um, For me, this is the thing I'm dealing with right now is this the communication and how do we communicate. And I think it's super valuable. The show sort of focuses on, there's a quote in it from George Bernard Shaw, which says, uh, the, 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 now I want to say that the greatest illusion in communication is the fact that it has occurred, which I think I've just butchered that quote. I haven't memorized that page yet, uh, which is this idea that really often we speak at each other and not to each other and assume that the words that we've said mean the same thing to each other because why wouldn't it mean you take your own personal experience with what you're saying and assume that that just translates and I'm hoping this show and I'm just in general as us as people learn to communicate a little bit more intimately understanding that maybe we're not meeting at the same place just because I've said something that should be super clear to you doesn't mean that it is super clear to you and that again 
it's not personal, there's not a value judgment. Because if it's really important and valuable for you to exchange that information, why wouldn't you attempt it again in a generous fashion? Which I think we're, uh, I, I can only think of a handful of examples where people are talking these days and not trying to communicate. And it's getting worse oh because of the cell phones. Um, we're constantly glancing down. For me, oh man, one of the big benefits and reasons to do this podcast is to have this 30 minutes to an hour of actual one-on-one conversation because Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen as much anymore. My train ride over, I looked up and I just went, it was crowded enough that like, you know, I'm, I'm subject to to it too. I put my phone away and I just looked up and I went, it looks like an episode of black mirror Yeah, where literally everybody's just staring at their screen doing something. And I just, I mean, I've been less active on social media and stuff like that. It doesn't, it doesn't make you happy. It doesn't do anything for you. Then I don't know, maybe other people are experiencing a lot of joy on social media that I'm, I'm not experiencing, but it's that addictive sort of sense of like, I just need to check this thing. This thing, I, might, I get more and more upset at Facebook the more it tries to find ways to be like, did you, this notification that has literally nothing just to op- make sure you open me up. And why is Facebook showing me this thing that it's showing me is just pissing me off. Oh yeah. It's just setting me off. Why is it showing me? And it, it's, it's on purpose. Oh yeah. Um, um, you're gonna get facebook ads for do you want to reduce your ability you're saying um in conversation that would be helpful actually you would think yeah that would be helpful so the show's about communication or the lack thereof Mm -hmm. talk about it just a little bit more like theme yeah sure so it's uh i'll do the sort of spiel on it so it's a lecture a slideshow lecture with a solo performer who gets up and realizes that he's teaching this class and then he has to extrapolate on language and he's essentially trying to communicate the beauty that he finds in language and he doesn't and he realizes he doesn't have the words for it and as it goes on the projector which is there takes on a a characteristics that make, make it really clear that it is not an analog projector and it starts Uh, not umming it starts to show some things that he is not willing to talk about um, exposing the things that are not being discussed that maybe he's hinting at or you see sort of a a bit of dialogue trail off where he says something that's a little obscure and the projector starts cluing you in onto what that is about as that goes on we establish that distance with what he's saying and what's trying to be communicated, it continues to get a little bit more surreal and expands the universe to the audience and our own experiences. And he sort of becomes a reflective lens for our own ability, inability to communicate, and also our ability to communicate. There's a there's a really beautiful moment that I I won't talk about, but I think it effectively it 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 does this thing where it takes another word and makes the other it mean something else, but does reflect how the they can be the same and does reflect how that can also be beautiful for me i always find these things these moments in life that I, this is again the the meta with the audience where sometimes the worst moments in my life i'm like if somebody else was watching this 
they'd be getting a lot of value out of the, the pain that I have, even if it's, you know, I, I have to live through it. I sometimes just as a solace, I can and sort of, you know, I don't know if you're religious or spiritual like at the very least things things mean things mean things yeah at least for me worst case scenario god's an audience Mm -hmm. that hopefully can watch that and go i feel something Mm -hmm. uh or i've i've grown in some way or learned some empathy so on religion and purpose and meaning uh i would have liked to have found out that i got cast in one of a couple of off-Broadway shows that I recently auditioned for. I haven't heard anything, so I'm pretty sure that I did not get cast. That said, this summer has been great for me. Um, there was a play that I did that I was very happy to do at the National Black Theater. This yeah, one, the fine. 125th in Freedom. Mm-hmm. And through that, uh, I got the opportunity to do something called Black Arts Intensive, which I'm in the middle of right now. That's through Stella Adler and the Billy Holiday Theater, and it's a five-week intensive centered in the black theater tradition, black theater empowerment, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of great technical things that I've gotten out of the class and great community building. Great. But most importantly purpose and Ruben Santiago Hudson he's one of the the main guys there who's driving some of these messages everybody though has been great all the teachers have been kind of saying the same thing I'm saying all this to say to you um, congratulations on journeying away from Actors Launchpad I'm glad that you are still there regularly sharing I say that because for me coming to there, it meant meant a lot. It's meant a lot to me over the whole year. That's great. And Ruben Santiago Hudson has said several times that in theater, um, in a group of actors, in a group of people, the most generous actor, the most generous person is the mightiest person. You were so generous. <laughs> So I'm very honored to have you here. You're a mighty dude. I'll be at your show. This is like that. Yeah. Labor Day weekend. Um, thank you for sitting down. Thank having you. this conversation. This is great. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Michael Sean Sorelli, actor, writer, other. I really enjoyed having that conversation with you, or sorry, I enjoyed having that conversation with him, and I hope you enjoy that I shared that with you. Um, I also just want to throw out there, I'm going to have a lot of people on from Actors Launchpad this season, because I've met a lot of very cool people there, and Mike Shansarelli is definitely one of them. And I'm going to check out his show. It's running this weekend here in New York at the Dream Up Festival. The links are in the show notes. Uh, starts tomorrow night, Saturday, August 31st at 8 o'clock. And it's all different times. Um, I'm going to see it Sunday the 1st, I think, at 5 p.m. I think that's when I'm going to see it. And uh, definitely check it out. This is like that. And also you can check out Michael's uh, website. Follow him. 
And if you enjoy this show or want to be on this show or want to share this show, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. And uh, let me know. Let me know what you think. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good day. Do your thing. And I'll talk to you next week. Peace. Peace.